probably from 1990 on, I spend my time trying to differentiate Mesa Energy Systems from everybody else. Because otherwise, we're a commodity. We're a low bid. And I always tell people, if you want low bid, don't call us. If you want best value, if you want something that is where the future is going, you talk to us. So we started in 1990, probably after we got through survival mode and got into a little successful mode. How can we differentiate ourselves and keep growing? One of our deals has been grow or die. And we've outgrown ourselves so many times. We've had to rebuild ourselves, outgrow ourselves because we grew so fast. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. We've got a great show for you today. A legend in his industry, Charlie Fletcher, is here to talk about boring energy. But he's going to talk about how he made it awesome. Excellence is working at play and playing at work. He's going to talk about the integration of his personal and business values and the power of culture. He's going to talk about the process and path to starting a company. If you want to start a company, there's some good stuff for you here. He's going to talk about retiring early, which many of you want to do, and how that really looks, and his lifelong focus of lifting and the impact of leading with the heart. You can find Charlie at MesaEnergySystems.com. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Charlie Fletcher from, I think, and I've been to a lot of places, 73 countries in the world, I think the greatest city in the world, one of the greatest neighborhoods in the world, North Laguna Beach, making time for the edge of excellence, a legend in his industry. Charlie Fletcher, welcome to the edge of excellence. Thank you, Matt. Nice intro. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not the intro yet. You haven't heard it. The intro is going to be even better. But before we get into our discussion and before we start sharing your lessons, I got to know from you, Charlie, what is your definition of excellence? My definition of excellence, I would say, Matthew, that if you look at a person who's mastered the universe, it's difficult to tell whether they're working at play or playing at work. I'd say that's excellence. If you can get there, you got a great life. Working at play or playing at work. So you can't tell the difference. So they love it. They're great at it. It's it's everything about them. They would do it if they didn't get paid. And does it only apply to work or does that apply to raising kids, being a spouse, being a backcountry explorer? Does it apply to everything or just work? I think that if you can get there, it applies to everything because that just means you've got your life integrated. To me, the more you integrate your life, the better you are. And why, should, why shouldn't you have fun all the time? All right. Fun all the time. And I think we do, Charlie. I think we do. And so you're on the show today. You're about triple the age of our normal guest. <laughs> and you're here, you're here for a reason. 
I have a lot of people that come to me and they talk about retiring early, which you sort of did. I have a lot of people that come to me and they talk about finding their passion, which you did. I have a lot of people come to me and they want to start a business by the time they're 22. And how do they do that? You started it, you sold it, you still work at it. So you're going to be the answer to a lot of questions today that we have. So we're going to dig into your path, your your path to all these achievements that I would say that out of the 50%, as many as 50% of the of the 20-somethings I meet with have a vision of kind of doing what you did, but we need to clarify that vision today. So we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back to New York. You're in college in New York. Before you moved to California, before you were a beach bum, before you started a, a pretty famous HVAC organization before you became one of the greatest backcountry skiers, backcountry mountain uh, uh, mountain bikers that we have in these United States. What were you like in, in in high school and college? You weren't crushing it back then, were you? I'm not sure what crushing it is. Uh, that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a new phrase. A couple generations uh-huh. since you were young. Uh, that, that means uh, doing uh, really really well in school yeah. and everything around I, you. I, I think I think for me, I was uh, I was lucky enough to. Uh, be a fairly smart kid with a heart, I would say, and I love to play. So I love to play sports. I wouldn't say I was great at them, but I played a lot of them. Uh, I was that kid that got through the reading curriculum really uh, quickly. And instead of uh, picking on the dumb kids, I'd help them learn to, we- uh, to read. So I think I think I was very blessed with uh, the ability to want to love people. And at the same time, I could understand stuff well. Probably the biggest thing that impacted my life in sixth grade, I had a math teacher that uh, helped me discover I was really good in math. And what I learned from her in sixth and seventh grade carried me through all the way through my freshman year in college. So I think I read a lot as a kid. I still read a lot. I read probably three to four novels a week. I, I was one of those kids that just loved to read. I could never get my kids to read. So I think between loving to play, trying to have a big heart and loving to read, that was kind of what defined me as a kid, uh, I would say. So we're going to come back to why it matters to have a great heart, but you, you started, we're going to spend some time on that. You started, so you're not picking on the kids that were bad at math. You start teaching a math. Did that make you better at math? Yeah, kind of, but no, I was actually a teacher. This was way back, like in second and third grade. I was actually teaching them to read. To be quite honest with you, if you flash forward, I was one of the kids that was really good at math in college. They wanted me to become a pre- professor even, but I'm too impatient. That's the other side of me. I'm very impatient. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay, so you're so you're you're in your early years. You love to play. You have a big heart. You love to read. You start seeing that there's a better way. Some of your friends are bullies. Some of your friends are picking on people. You start seeing the impact of lifting and loving at an early age. You head off to New York. You got a degree in math in New York. What'd you get? Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I got a degree in math. Yep, you got a degree in math, and then something happened. You're doing. You're you're kind of on this progress. You're doing well in math. You're going to maybe be a math professor and you decide to move all the way across the country to California. And for about five years, you kind of live the beach bum lifestyle, which is the exact opposite of what I tell people to do. You tell people, hey, screw off for a few years. I tell people it's the rule of 72. If you make deposits early, you get to live better, better later. So both of us have done pretty well. Both of us have a lot of freedom. Both, both of us have a lot of control in our life. We've got two separate paths. So your path 
was move to California, work four hours a day, hang out with your buddy. You coincidentally had a little painting company. I coincidentally had a little painting company. And you did that till 27. Why do you think that's important? Because it's the opposite of what I tell people. Well, for me, I actually, it it goes a little deeper than that. I really got into uh, yoga and meditation, believe it or not. And uh, so I was, at that point in time, I think I was kind of searching for what I wanted to do. But when you grew up in Buffalo, New York, and you move to Laguna Beach, California, and you're 21 years old, and you're looking at this beautiful town, and you're going, oh, my God, I got to enjoy this beach, right? So I just, my buddy and I said, hey, you know what? I'd rather play around. I have lots of my friends. We, they, you know, back then in the early 70s, it was a lot easier, right? My rent was $100 a month in 1974, okay? That same place would be $1,500 a month now. So and the, and the wages did not go out relative to that. So it was pretty easy to be poor and have a really fun surfer, freestyle frisbee, yogi, clean living lifestyle, which is what I needed after being a little bit wild in college. Okay, so you take a break to kind of recoup, and you're having a good time. You found uh, yoga and meditation. I did. And why? What? How did that help you with the next phase? when you started back into the working hard mode? Well, I met this girl named Janine in 1974, who was always taking, uh, take, uh, was also taking yoga. And as you know, I've been with her ever since. So actually she dumped me for a while. We got back together in 1977, moved in together in 1978. And I always said that I'm not sure what would have happened if I hadn't met Janine, because I might've just continued to be a bump. So I guess once, once I met Janine, I realized I needed to get responsible. And that's when I got into the air conditioning business in 1978. I decided if I'm going you know, to get married, I proposed to Janine. I can't be, you know, I can't do a beach bum lifestyle anymore. I got to get serious because we wanted to have kids and stuff. So really it was like, what a great, I, was very, I feel very lucky that I got to have a lot of fun, not a lot of responsibility, fall in love and decide I better get serious. Okay, so so serendipitously through your passion and your pastime, you come across your future. Serendipitously through this woman that you met, you find, okay, it's time to dig in and add some responsibility. And you still have a lot of fun and you still do meditation and you're still spiritual and you still have a great heart. You just added another element to your life. And I bet you, you wouldn't be the same person had you not added that element. You wouldn't be as confident. Um, no, you no. wouldn't be as wise. So you get no. into a weird industry and, and I wanted you on the show because you're in a weird industry that no one knows about and you right. started a business and no one knows how to start a business. So you're a beach bum, you got a little painting company. And then one day you start kind of be working in the install realm. You're installing ducks and air conditioners and pretty hard <laughs> yeah. job, pretty hot job, pretty strenuous yeah. job. We don't need to get into the amounts that you get in that really age you and bore my audience. <laughs> but but for them, you made four bucks an hour. Then a year later, you're making 10 bucks an hour running the company. Then a year later, you're part of the union, which is pretty rare at that age. And then after five years in this industry, you go start your own company, which is pretty well known, pretty, pretty big company now. And that's I want to talk about that for a second. You were going to be a math professor. Then you have a painting company. Then you're a pretty hard labor laborer, and then something happens and you just, just you decide to start a company. So the process of starting a company 
you weren't looking for it. It came to you, right? You know, uh, to be honest with you, I've never really done very well working for people. If I look at my life in retrospect, I really only work for people out of, you know, you know, I'm, I'm turning 70 in May, right? I'd say five years total, I've worked for other people. Even after I sold my company, we sold it to a company that lets us run it. They leave us alone. So I still have all the freedom of owning my company. I'm treated like I own my company. I need to be in control, not necessarily control. I feel like I want to be in control of my own destiny. I, I you know, and I really don't want anybody telling me what to do. And that's just how I'm built. It's not because of my ego. I just have a hard time, I guess, if I think I know what to do better, if somebody telling me to do it a different way. And that's that's just how I'm built. I, I don't think it's an authority problem. I just think it's a Charlie Fletcher problem. So Okay. So your process to starting a company is self-realization first. You realize who you are. You're not a great employee. Second, um, it didn't matter the industry. You had one in painting. You move into a different industry. It's the opportunity at hand. You're in that industry. You know that industry. Right. Can you do it faster, better, cheaper? And then you had a friend, just a random buddy, who was working for another company, and maybe the leadership of that company wasn't as ethical. So you sell that person on, or he sold you, one of the two, on going off and starting on your own because you think you can do faster, faster, better, mm -hmm. cheaper. So you have that confidence. And I find it to be more arrogance because neither you nor I really should have been that confident. <laughs> and if you're listening right now, arrogance is a good thing. Fake it till you make it. And you go off and start kind of a weird business. You start an HVAC business, heating, air conditioning. What was HVAC stand for? Heating, ventilating, and air conditioning. But actually, uh, even back then, and this will flash forward to where we are now, Start the. Can I say the name of my company? Is that fair? Sure, I don't <laughs> care. It's your company. Okay, so we started a company called Macy Energy Systems because back then in 1983, before that, I met some buddies that were the uh, pioneers that I became friends with in, in energy efficiency, and uh, I wanted to save energy even back in 1983. Uh, even though we focused on air conditioning, but air conditioning is one of the biggest users of energies in buildings. So I got into the energy business as it relates to buildings, not to gasoline or, or power back then. But now we can flash forward to where we are uh, now later. So Mesa Energy stood for, Mesa stood for Managed Energy Systems Application, all right? So we we're kind of nerdy engineer types. And from day one, we were known as being, thinking outside the box, doing innovative things, even for the first day. We were doing different things uh, than everybody else. So we developed a reputation as being an innovative company right from the onset. Okay, so if you're listening in your car right now on 1.5 speed and you're thinking, I want to start a business, I want to start a business, first of all, calm down. Calm down. You don't have to start a business today. You don't have to start a business tomorrow. You have 100 years. You don't have to live your life by the time you're 23. The only reason you think that is because you're on Instagram too damn much. Get off Instagram. So your path is, first of all, just like me, you realize I'm a horrible employee. Um, I'm unemployable. I need to put myself in a different position. Now you don't have to be unemployable to be an entrepreneur. A lot of them are, a lot of them aren't. Second of all, you're open to the industry and what you, you I don't know if it was conscious or, or unconscious, but you had some interests in energy efficiency. You came from those hippie days and people were worried about that stuff back then. And still some people are, 
you were looking for things and maybe they just sunk to you. It sunk to you. This ties to your values, Charlie. This ties to your passion. So you start to see how something kind of boring and lame, painting in my case, construction in my case. I love working with college kids and changing their lives. I do that through painting. You want to change the world's energy consumption and, and save the planet. So you start to see that this opportunity that might be weird. And if you're listening right now, you got to look around you. You got to look around your house, your car, your job. What opportunities are singing to you? And then you had a person that was your good buddy. And you thought, not only is this guy a great friend, not only is this person fun to hang out with, this person can make me better. This person can make my business better. So the two of you get together. And the fourth element is you have the confidence that you can deliver differently and have a more important impact in an old boring industry, right? And you went off and start your own company. So was it straight to success or did you have some struggles? Oh, brand new baby, rented house. My ex, my partner, I ended up buying him out after five years. Still a good guy, not a good businessman, not a good money manager. Uh, I had to run the business. So I was waking up at 1.30 in the morning, worried about things because I had to pay bills. I had, to, I had to sell bill and do the work. And going out to my garage and working, this is, of course, before fax machines, uh, before, you know, before cell phones. And I was working 16 hours a day and killing myself to survive for the first five years. So it was very, very difficult, very hard. Why did you do it? Because as I got to know people, I realized that, that uh, you know, what happened is I, I think I, I developed a passion for helping people figure out problems. And I found out I was really good at it. And I developed a passion for business because if I do those personality tests, I'm 10 out of 10 for passion. I'm 10 out of 10 for competition. I don't like losing. So after five years, I bought up my partner and a wealthy guy came to me and said, I want to fund you. I've got another guy that wants to start a company. This guy and I got together. Uh, the guy that was going to fund us couldn't because it was a conflict of interest. And this guy and I starting 1988, we're rock stars in the industry. We doubled the company every year. People used to say to me and my partner, Tracy, they go, you guys are pretty cocky for young guys. We'd say, no, actually, we're pretty humble for as good as we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out we were hell of a good sales guys. When we got together, you know, like for me, I'm a partner guy. I've always had a partner. I always feel like I've always said that two guys can do at least, I think, two people can do three to five times what one guy, person can do if you mesh, right? We happen to mesh. And the biggest thing is we respected each other. We loved each other. And we we used to compete. I, I'd come to the office. And he lived 15 miles from the office. I lived like a, a mile from the office uh, after the first office we got. And we finally quit it because I'd go, we'd try to get in before 5 a.m. One morning I walk in at quarter to five and he's got the lights off and he goes, good afternoon. We stopped <laughs> that after that. It was just, it was insane. But we... We had so much fun together. Here's a couple of young guys that, uh, in fact, my current partner was our, was our, so think about this, 1988, when I met him, we did $388,000 of business. This year, we're going to do $370 million. It's a big story. It's been great. So, so from the start, you guys are playing at work. And you realize, you realize you're playing so hard, you're, you're never sleeping, but you're having a great time. You're crushing it which is a word that means doing well, uh, you're playing at work. That. And so uh, I just want to back up a little bit. 
when you started your business, like most people, when they start their business, you're working lots of hours. I remember my dad saying, hey, Matt, you, you just worked 31 days in a row and you're working 15-hour yeah. days. You can't do that. And I'm like, dad, please don't call me and tell me this stuff. I have to do this. Then he said, yep. hey, you're putting your family at risk. You second mortgage your house. I said, yep. dad, this is what I do. And I was talking to my friend's wife the other day and they're having issues. And she called me up to get some advice on how I've got through my issues. Because as you know, every, if you're, by the way, if you're listening right now, you're not married yet, you will have tough times. So they're having tough times. They got separated. And, uh, um, you know, she's bothered by the up and down. And he had a, a business situation where it became pretty rough. And I said, hey, this is what you married. You're going to get this. It goes up and up and down. And so you're going through the ups and downs. You're working with Janine. So she stays patient through the ups and downs. And she knows what she got into. But as you're going through this incredibly difficult time of working 15, 18 hour days, you find a new passion. Right. Getting out of those 18 hour days was a problem to solve. Figuring right. out this energy management and turning your business into something besides just HVAC was a problem to solve. You're finding a passion for your new partner. You're finding a passion for these new problems and you're finding a passion for winning. And so does that tie to uh, working at play and playing at work or does that tie to your great heart? Some people don't see the positive. How did you see all that as good? Well, well just, and Matt, I, I don't know if this is a tangent, but bear in mind, we started this business. He, Tracy, my partner, knew, knew some people in the industry. When I started the business, I didn't know anyone. Since then, you flash forward almost 40 years, we've had 20 people leave the company because we had became a big company and it was easier for them because they could just steal some of my customers, right? When you start from scratch like you and I did, it's a way different thing than if you've been in the industry for a while. You're a young guy, you start, it's way different to start in an industry where you really don't have any connections, like real estate that I was in, it's a lot different if you've been in an industry for four or five years, uh, it actually customer facing. So for that part, what we discovered is that we were really good people first people. Uh, the, the customers liked us because we were young guys. We were fun to hang out with. Like we get together at, at Christmas time. And I, I shouldn't admit this, but I guess you did that back then. Uh, We'd have cocktails, put on Santa hats, and go around and deliver presents to all our customers. When it was 100 degrees outside and our service technicians were on the whiff sweating, we'd go around and give them all $100 bills, right? I mean, as we got enough that we could do that. So let's flash forward like 1989, 1990, we're starting to do that. So he and I together in a couple of years took a company that wasn't growing and just exploded with growth as we met people, as we developed a reputation of being innovative telling people what they should do. One of the things that I learned is I always tell people what I would do if it were my money. Like somebody can ask me, hey, do I need a high efficiency air conditioner? I go, no, man, you only use it three days a year. Just call me when it breaks and I'll give you the cheapest one you can. I never have sold anyone anything that I wouldn't do myself. And I think that was probably one of the biggest keys to our success. We always uh, looked at it like, okay, I really know this business. I really know this industry. What would I do for my money? So that's probably the biggest thing I learned early on. Okay, so if we go back to how do you start a company and that industry point, it can be that you're new to the industry and you're finding your passion. It's tying to your values. 
it's interesting to you and you decide to go off right away. Or it can be that you've been in the industry for a long time, which might be easier because you have some connections, but either way works. Either way works. Yeah, yeah. And so a day in the life, and you brought it up here, if you want to be, a lot of people in the HVAC industry, and, and by the way, Charlie and I go on a backcountry ski trip every year up in Canada, a, a really dangerous trip where you have to, you're putting your life on the line and the people that you're with, you have to trust because if there's an avalanche and we've seen some and we've been hit by some, but you need those people to save you. And we go with the HVAC industry, which is an industry of, of very smart people. Most of them are engineers, right? But they're a little different than most than, than a lot of engineers in a good way and a bad way. I hear you laughing. Um, so you 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 talked about sales. So a lot of your job was the mathematics side, the engineering side, the product knowledge side. You got to know the right products to put together. It's usually huge systems. You got to know how the things go together, what works together, what doesn't, what the units are, what the measurements are. You have to have all the engineering and math side. But the people I know in this industry are also people people. So you talked about people like doing business with you. You had great relations. You lived on your values. And this applies, if you're listening right now, it applies to any industry. If you're living your values and you're doing things like treating your customers as if they were your mother, treating your customers as if they were you, not selling them things you wouldn't buy, treating their money like your money. So you're living your values. But would you say that you know, if you look at your, your business that you built, how much of it was the sales skills, people skills? How much of it was the engineering skills? How much of it was the money management business skills? I would tell you that, that it was a combination of all of those, but our company has been the history of getting guys with vision together. Uh, I would say Tracy and I have, have both been very fortunate. Uh, one of the things that I tell people all the time is if you do business with me, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen five years from now. You will never ask, ever ask me, why didn't I tell you about something? So between Tracy and I, two driven young guys that, you know, had personalities that were, you know, outgoing. And we, we really were, we've always kind of been since, I was going to say 1990, I would say my company has led the industry and kind of helped transform it. And if we get flash forward to where we are, where we are now, I'll, I'll tell you some things that are happening now. But back then, even back then, like in 1990, there's a, you know, we, we uh, did things that we kind of led the country in. Uh, there's a thing called a very, well, I hate to even get techie, but it's called a VFD. It's like a light dimmer. We put more variable frequency drives on motors than anyone in the country in 1990. So that's the beginning of us going like, okay, these guys are energy guys. So we finally took us seven years to be nationally recognized as the energy guys I, I saw back in 1983. And if you think about 1983, there was no one that started a company and talked about saving energy in 1983, right? I went from crazy to smart by now, right? But that's the kind of stuff that between Tracy and I, we're do, we've been doing all along, we, you know, for whatever reason. I'm not saying that's because Charlie's great. I'm saying because Charlie's out there meeting people a lot. And I, I, I feel like life is always about learning. I, I've learned in the last 20 years, I've learned more from young people, from young people than they have for me. I always say we're all co-mentors. But I honestly believe that I've learned more from young people than I have from me. And I, I think that's cool. Are you enjoying the show thus far? 
We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So, so you have this weird industry that ties to your values, you know, make the planet a, a safer place, ties to your passion, you're solving problems, it's challenging, it's mathematical, it interests you, you start another boring company, you start another boring HVAC business, I started another boring painting business, Jeff Bezos started another boring book company, but you figured out a way, and it wasn't on purpose, you're just living your passion, you're living your interests. You figure out a way to make it unique. And what was unique was your Jeff Bezos was a bookstore, but what was unique, he was a bookstore in your house and he could leverage that. You were just a dumb HVAC company. I was stupid painters. And you realize, wait a second, I can make a play with this. And I think that's something about entrepreneurs. And people always ask me, I want to start a business. I got to figure out what business I'm going to start. I got all these ideas. That's not it. It's not the ideas are a dime a dozen. You, you, I used to have a chemical company. It was the greatest chemical on the planet and I couldn't sell it. I didn't have distribution. So you need, you need to have finance. You need to have distribution. But what you're talking about is even more important than that. You need to have a way that makes it stand out. So you took a boring business and you made it stand out because you weren't in the HVAC business. You're in the planet saving business. And you weren't selling someone a new energy system for their building. You're selling someone a way to change the world. And I, I just watched the Simon Sinek TED Talk again. And if you haven't watched the Simon Sinek TED Talk, start with why. It's worth watching. And he talks about Apple. You know, anybody, Dell was making computers. Apple was changing the way you interact with technology. And they focused on their why. So your why was, we're not, we're not going to, you did it to me the other day. You said, hey, you got your, your building there. I'm going to do this and this and this to it. We're going to make it your prototype building. Yeah, I need a new roof. Yeah, I would like to have solar. Yeah, I, I know that your stuff's better than my stuff. But I become part of this vision of kind of changing the world. And if you want to start a business right now, it doesn't come right away. Charlie spent five years surfing and being a bum. Then he spent five years working for someone else. And he probably spent five years figuring out how to be an energy guy instead of an HVAC guy. It was there all along, but eventually it pops out. Was there, how did it happen? Was it from talking to all those people and listening and, and learning from everybody you learn that you can? Was it the great heart? What was it that had you made you realize that weird vision in a boring company? I think, well, okay. So when you, st what I found about myself that I really had to uh, curtail in is 
this is just a, a little aside. I find when you really start making money, you can change. And sometimes you change for the worst. So what I really had to do when we started getting successful is make sure I didn't get too egocentric, too selfish, blah, blah, blah. I nipped that in the bud. We both nipped that in the bud pretty well. But then the next thing is what, and I tell this all the time, this business and your business can become a commodity business. I've spent, I've spent my, since, you know, probably from 1990 on, 90 on I spend my time trying to differentiate Mesa Energy Systems from everybody else. Because otherwise, we're a commodity. We're a low bid. And I always tell people, if you want low bid, don't call us. If you want best value, if you want something that is where the future is going, you talk to us. So we started in 1990, probably after we got through survival mode and got into a little successful mode. How can we differentiate ourselves and keep growing? One of our deals has been grow or die. And we've outgrown ourselves so many times. We've had to rebuild ourselves, outgrow ourselves because we grew so fast. You know, if you look at our numbers, it was ridiculous. We almost doubled every year. And uh, when we told people we wanted to get to 100 million, they said they're crazy. And we got to 200 million. They say, you're really crazy. Now we're at 300 million. We want to get to 500 million before we put ourselves to pasture. How do we do it? Differentiation. Don't be a commodity. Okay. So as you're going through this, let's get back to this great heart. And I've known you very well for a long time. I mean, you and I spent some time talking about yoga talking about philosophy, talking about how we can be better to our spouses, to our kids. You and I have never traded any money. We've just traded favors. We've never kept track of it. So when did you decide that having a great heart was important? And I, I made the decision myself too. We, we both made a call. And I know my parents made the call. My grandparents made the call. My wife made the call. My sons made the call. My daughter will make the call. When did you decide that having a great heart was important to you? And how do you manage maintaining it? Well, I think for me, I always tell people I was, I'm an emotional midget. I think I was kind of born with a kind of a sensitive heart, I guess. I mean, in the old days, some of you may have heard this Lassie. When Lassie came home, I cried every time, right? I'm that kind of guy that uh, I go to a movie and the family would look over me and I'd be crying. So I think I've always been a little bit of an emotional midget. What happened to me, I think, when I was doing yoga a lot, I used to meditate and I would kind of expand out. I'd almost, you know, and, and that's, you know, like some people call it somebody, whatever. I had, I had some really great experience with yoga and my heart opened up so much. I'm going like, my God, if I live with my heart like this, I'm going to get hammered in this world. So I actually, when I became a businessman, I uh, almost had to like get hard again a little bit. I always kind of had a, playful nature. And I always love people and they know that, but to, to drive a business, sometimes you have to be, I mean, I'm sure there's some people in the early years that said we were pretty tough. I know a lot of people were afraid of me because I was so driven, but as we expanded and I realized, my God, it's so easy. I, you know, like I said, if I can integrate my, when I started integrating my life more and realized if I really create a culture based around our heart, and if we get into now, and I told you the values of the company, when we get to, you know, recent, I'll tell you what we did that was amazing. But what we realized is creating a great culture. And if it's a culture from the heart, you can't lose. And people, you can't fake loving people, right? You just can't do that. And I happen to love people to a fault. You know, so how, I, so, I don't so I'm going I'm to challenge you, mental midget, no. So are you the greatest <laughs> at controlling your reactions to things? Probably not. No. Have you no. mastered the Vedanta? Um, Buddhist way of letting go. No, you haven't. But 
Mental midget, definitely not. High EQ, definitely. You have to understand yourself to understand others. So you, you cry at movies, you cry at ads. So do I. We can work on our reactions, but that gives you an opportunity to understand others and you have a high EQ. I'm sure there were times when it felt like it was slipping. You said when you started getting hard and I know it matters to you. How do you bring the heart back when you start getting hard? Uh, well, in my case, uh, always in my case, I've had a partner that, that, you know, the other thing that, that the problem is, Matt, and I think you know this too, hand in hand with that is passion. And I've always said to people, you know, my greatest asset is also my biggest problem. So my passion is great, but my passion also gets me in trouble when I just flip out and get out. You know, I don't do it anymore, but I used to. So same with love. Love has cost me, cost me a lot of money because I trust, I like everybody. I have to have people in my life that, like, I just, you know, I started a software company. I had to bring people in that don't trust people in a certain sense, because otherwise everybody takes advantage of me. So it's, it's kind of weird that way. But so my, my love for people is also a problem because I can love people so much I get burned. My passion on a positive note is great. But then it also, you know, if I was you know, upset about something, it scared, scared people because I don't like to lose. It was never about making people feel bad. It was just being pissed that either we screwed up a job or we didn't do something right. It was, it, it's never really been about beating people up per se, but uh, when you have that much passion and that much love, it's a two, two-edged sword, I guess you'd say, right? So it's a, conscious, it's a consciousness. And if you're listening right now and you're not so conscious about your values, set a time stop and write them down. It took me about a year to figure it out, figure out what my values are, but it's worth pondering at some point in your life, because from then on, you can use them as a decision filter. If you don't know what you're passionate about, sit down sometime today, tomorrow, and write down, just look at your day-to-day. What excited you? What did it? And if you do that a couple of times, you find your passion. If you don't know what you stand up for, stop and think, what did I have I stood up for lately? So you've been harnessing your passion. You've been standing up for your values. You've been reading, you've been meditating, and you realize that all strengths can become a weakness if they go too far. And it's through practice and time and patience that you develop what Charlie now has, wisdom. He didn't have it at 25. He didn't have it at 27. He started to develop it. It happens over time and it takes a lot lot of years. And he finally got there. And I want to get into a different side of your story. And that is... What everybody wants to do, they sell their business, they go off into the wilderness, they retire, they live a completely different life of relaxation, and that's the vision they have. But it never seems to be that way. So you already mentioned it. You sold your business, and MCOR took it over and became a big part of a a, a bigger company. But MCOR, you picked the type of, uh, of strategic buyer that would do what you wanted them to do. They had a reputation to leave leadership in place. They had a reputation to let you run it. So your retirement was more typical than what a 25-year-old thinks it's going to be. You sold the business. Go ahead. No, it's not actually that way. So I'll tell you what happened. So in 1994, we went union and we brought some really bad people in there. And I was the CEO at the time. And okay, what we discovered up until 1994 was culture was... The, the culture, we created a great culture, and that's where our business grew. We went union because we grew so much we couldn't find talent, and we wanted to get into bigger buildings. 
So we brought in these people. They were bad people. Uh, and if I don't have a great culture in my company, I get, I get bummed out. So I actually uh, sold most of the company to my two partners because I wasn't having any fun. I stepped down as CEO and I actually got to retire at 44. And then they had, I had a 10-year deal for them to buy me out. I had a brand new house in Laguna. I had a house in Idaho. Took my kids out of school. Took them skiing. Went up to Canada. Had a great time. Then I came back and I go, I'm sitting on the beach in October of 1996 going, what the hell am I going to do? I'm not going to retire. I'm bored to tears. So long story short, stayed in touch with my partners. I was thinking of starting another company. And I said, you know what? This is my baby. We agreed that I'd come back if we fired the bad people. So I came back. I lasted six months. I came back. Then we sold the company in 1999. My two partners signed a five-year employment agreement. I said, I'll never work for someone. I, I don't think I can work for someone. Didn't sign the employment agreement. We sold the MCOR group. Never saw anybody from MCOR. And everything that's happened since 1999 when we sold it, it's been, Tracy left in 2001. It's been Bob Lake and Charlie Fletcher's company. And MCOR basically says, thank you very much. You guys are rock stars. And they leave us alone. If they hadn't left us alone, if we hadn't done it, hadn't, hadn't had this freedom, we wouldn't have stayed. The reason we sold the company is we started a software company called Fieldcentrics, and it looked like that was going to be our home run. And so we wanted to let Mesa grow with somebody else's money, and we raised a bunch of money for a software company. So we had two things in parallel, okay? Uh, yeah, so, because I have to start companies. It's just the way. Yeah. So it's a little different story. But it, I will tell you but that it's, but, it, but it's not a different story. It's the same story. It's the same story everybody has. You're doing something, and it's either the time because you've gotten to the level you wanted to go to, or you need that extra boost. There's a reason you have to sell it to get to the next level, or it's not aligning with your values and passion anymore. So you exit. That's the same story. Then when you exit, you realize really quickly, what else am I going to do? I'm 44, 34, 54. You're not going to, I mean, people that are on the edge of excellence, people that are always striving are not going to just stop. So a lot of people might just become professional investors because they have a lot of cash. And, and I have a friend that lives by you that went into the real estate business after he sold, but he's still in the real estate business. You're probably not working 15 hours a week or more, but you got to work a few hours to keep that brain going. So at 44, you realize, and this is what the people need to hear. You got to have your next plan ready. And if you don't, you got to be aware that there will be a next plan. So you're sitting on the beach at 44 going, now what? I better go back. And you came back on your own terms. The other version is now what? I better go somewhere new and I'm going to go somewhere new on my own terms. When you're sitting in your 20s and you're watching whatever you're watching on TV that tells you I need to retire by 35, that's not where you're going to be at 35. So you said, I'm always looking five years in the future. If you're listening right now, five, 10 years in the future is you sitting there going, now what? And my friend, Joe John Duran, that wrote a book, Start, Sell It, Make a Mint. He's a head of wealth management for Goldman Sachs. You've met him a couple of times. He went and interviewed a thousand people. The ones that had a plan after they sold their business maintained their happiness. The ones that didn't were lost for a while. So you were lost for six months. If you're listening right now, you're going to be lost too. More often than not, and I'd say in the 90 percentile, people go back into the same industry. They start a new industry. They go back because you have a passion in your in your job. You, you have problem solving in your job. 
as Charlie said, you're working at play or playing at work. It doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like work anymore. It feels like, like I do, I do it every day. I mean, I do it for fun. I'm either helping college kids at college works, growing businesses in my own company or meeting with other people and growing their businesses, meeting with their kids and helping them. It's what we do. It's the same thing in and outside of work. You just can't stop it. So Charlie's on the beach. He just couldn't stop it. He came back and he had a great suitor that would let him do what he's wanted to do. And he's been doing it now for 36 more years. He's been retired for 36 years doing the same thing he was doing before he was retired. And I know you've got other passions and I know you've got other um, software companies. And I know there's a lot more to your story that we're not going to get into today, but I have a, I have a question for you. And it's my favorite question. At some point in time in your early life, you made a sacrifice. And at the time you thought, oh my God, should I do this? And you're weighing your options and you almost didn't make the sacrifice but you made the sacrifice and it changed your life for the positive. So if you were going to go back in time and tell your younger self, do it, don't have a second guess about it. What was that sacrifice? What was that sacrifice? That's a tough question. I guess, I guess, uh, well, starting a business felt like a sacrifice when I was working 16 hours a day. <laughs> this is going to sign. This is going to sound terrible. Well, you, well, you, left, a, you left, you left a good paying job to go to a maybe yeah. no paying job. Yeah. You left normal hours that, to hard that's hours. One, uh, you know, it's really going to sound bad. And I hope this doesn't sound, uh, I think the sacrifice I made in honor of Janine was having children. I didn't want children. And that was probably the best thing I ever did. So if I had to say my biggest sacrifice and the big, the, the, the best thing that came out of it is we, uh, you know, she's basically saying, Hey, we got married. Uh, I want to have kids. I go, oh, I don't want to have kids. And then we had kids and they're my best friends. So I think my biggest sacrifice ended up being my biggest blessing. If I had to say that was, yeah. And that's scary. I mean, you're, you're suffering. You don't have any money. You're in a little rental house for a hundred bucks a month. You get this business going. It starts going again. It's pretty scary to have kids. It's pretty, I mean, yeah. that's a whole different path of path down life. But what happened was, and it's back to your, back to your same pattern, you find this opportunity. It ties to your values. It ties to your passion. There's lots of problem solving in parenting. And again, you got to wait 36 years to see how it worked out, right? It's a long-term play. Charlie, I, I, you know, I forgot something and I always say it's my last question, that sacrifice. And I love the story of the children, but I got to get one more thing from you before, before I let you go today. You talk about the culture of your company. You talk about uh, having a, a great heart. And we talk about lifting people. I know that's got to come from your super strong values. You mentioned them briefly, but I'd love to hear your values. And if you're listening right now, we talked about stop and write them down. You can steal them from Charlie. These have led Charlie to build, you know, a hundreds of million dollar business, a wonderful life, a wonderful family. What are they, Charlie? Well, you're going to love this one, Matthew. So in 19, in 2015, we were at $178 million and we thought we were a good company, but we wanted to be an excellent company. You're going to love this, Matthew. So I wrote a business plan called The Road to Excellence. Oh, I didn't even and my know business that. mentor at the time, business mentor at the time said, Charlie, you've got to put your values in. And okay, I said, okay, what are my values? So I also realized that if you integrate, like I said before, integrate your personal and business life. So I give the speech now of a value. So flash forward, 2015, 178 million. And I said to everybody, if we get everybody rowing the boat the same way, everybody's rowing the boat, they understand our culture, understand our values, we're going to explode. 
and we've exploded 200 million in, in uh, seven years. So first, first value, very important, is sense of urgency. And I say sense of urgency is if somebody calls me, I help them. My buddy breaks down on the road. He knows if he calls me, I'm coming right away. If a customer calls me, I'm there. He knows I've got it. Sense of urgency is the most important thing in a service business. Second one is win-win. Life needs to be about win-win. Somebody hangs out with me, it's got to be win-win. I do business with someone, it's got to be win-win. And that applies to personal and business. The third one is accountability. I tell people all the time, look, 95% of what happens to me is on me. If I break my leg, how do I deal with it? If I get cancer, how do I deal with it? If my kid's sick, how do I deal with it? All right? So that's three. Number four is passion. And if you don't have passion for what you do, I think you're missing out. You're missing out on life. And that's in personal life. I have passion for skiing, mountain biking, as you know, playing basketball, surfing, all that stuff. I also have passion for business. And I tell people, if you don't have passion at Macy Energy, you shouldn't work here. But my job is to create a job for you where you find your passion. And the last one is love. So we're presenting this to present to our company. We're at a meeting with all our managers and the, and the CFO goes, oh, we can't put love in there. And my partner go, why can't a big company put love in there? Our, our uh, HR guy says, you can't put in love. And then our, uh, then our new branch manager that was taken over San Francisco office said, if I brought those values to my wife, she said, say I chose the right company. And uh, my partner, Bob Lake goes, love stays in. So those were our four values, there were five values. I give the speech on a video or in person to people all the time. And when I'm done, I said, here's something from Charlie Fletcher that everyone should read. First one, the Holstein Manifesto, which I've given to you. Everybody at 25 years old should read the Holstein Manifesto. The second, and I got that. I got invited by a company. I went to the Super Bowl and I was sitting next to the CEO of Boston Properties. And he gave me this thing. He goes, this is what I have in my refrigerator. The second one that I think everyone should read is called The Dash, especially when you're my age, right? And I got that at West Point from the Thayer School Leadership through my Fortune 100 company or 400 company. They give that out when they're talking about writing a business plan, your value. The dash is, what, what is my message from the day I was born, like on a tombstone, to the day I die, right? Charlie Fletcher, 1952. After 70 years on the planet, as a mathematician, and as an energy guy, I've decided that the most powerful force on the planet is unconditional love. What if I loved you, cheered you on, helped you out, wanted nothing back? Now, I freely say this to my company. My wife just shakes her head, but I don't care. That's my message, and I'm sticking to it. And I have the manifesto and the dash on my mirror, and my wife does on her mirror. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad we end on that note, because knowing what your values are and what you stand for and standing up for them creates the win-win. And oftentimes it might be out there, but out there is what gets the job done. Well, Charlie Fletcher, I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your wisdom. I love your path to retirement and the length of uh, this working retirement you had. Thank you for joining us on the Edge of Excellence. Thank you, Matthew. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. 
This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.